This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to this happy Monday morning. If you are listening to the MVM show here with me, myself, Titus, on the day that it is posted and released, if you're hearing this later down the road, then we will uh, say good morning to you as well, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is for you. I got some good things covered today. I told you I was going to talk about some things from the last episode, 266. This is episode 267. And... We're going to go some more, over some more things out of the CWA. Um, in preparation for this episode, I found out, found out some interesting things, um, literally, as I'm sitting here prepping for it before I hit the record button and found out some things that I completely forgot about. It is an article that MD Johnson did with me a couple months ago, and I honestly just forgot about it. I didn't think nothing about it, and I'm sitting here reading. All of a sudden, I turn the page over, and I see in big, bold letters... Actually, I first seen seen my picture. Uh, believe it or not, honestly, I don't even like that. Kind of, like, it's funny to hear me say I don't like that because I put videos on YouTube. So, what do you expect? But like, for some reason, the magazine is weird to me. And I turn the page over and I see Titus headings. Like, you know, how your eyes just catch your own name in big bold letters. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I completely forgot about this. And then my good buddy Matt Zavlonic from High Prairie Sportsman's over there and. Nebraska's in here too, and then uh, I think it's Asher Tolliver uh, from Die Bomb, but us three did it. I didn't know who was doing it with MD. MD's actually been on this podcast. I need to get him on again because we only talked um, turkey, and I really think he's a bigger waterfowler, but he does a lot of things, and his wife does a lot of things and writes a lot of articles up, but I'll cover some of that for you in a little bit. I really want to get back to the Pintel thing. Um, I was wanting to say it in the last episode, but I 
I was like, eh, I'll save that a little too much to add in. But let me go back. Let's start with this. So I, as I told you guys, I met Mark Henley, uh, which is the vice president for advocacy for California Waterfowl Association, which helps us for the hunter, basically. And he never said this at dinner when we were there, but I was reading this article he wrote and he talks, and I'm not going to talk about this today, but he talks about firstly the California's 30 by 30 initiative and how it will ultimately be implemented, which is Governor, you know, Governor Newsom, it's his initiative that put this in. So you already know right then there ain't going to be no good. But um, um, if you dig actually deeper into it, though, I don't really want to cover it. Um, this actually one could be good. And I'm not going to go into it, and I don't want to say it's good or bad because I haven't really read on it. So someone's going to end up commenting saying, you didn't even know, know about it. No, I didn't because I'm not going to talk about the, that today. So I didn't study into it before I talk about it. But um, it says, just a quick quick overview of it, it says, which is intended to conserve 30% of the state's lands and waters by 2030. Questions continue to swirl about what exactly that will mean for hunters. See, so I'm saying until you dig into it, when it comes from Newsom, it just is never a good thing. So I have a hard time meaning that could be a positive thing. And that's what basically Mark is saying here is uh, questions continue to swirl. That is that really a good thing for hunters, game species, and private landowners who, imagine, who manage much of the best wildlife habitat. So anyways, we're not going to dig into that. But what we are going to dig into is the Pentel. And I know we talk about this a lot, but this is going to be something that's going to be really interesting. And we're not going to stay here long. I got some other good things to talk about here in this episode. Uh, I think I lost my mark. What did I do with that? Oh, boy. Did I lose it? I think I did. Because the last thing we talked about was the... I thought I had my marks. In. Well, well, let's just start with this. So let's start with the Pentel. So let me read some of this to you, and then I'll comment on some of it. Oh, I know what it was. That was actually a comment from somebody that I'll go over here in a second. That was my third thing. So let's start with this. So it says, CWA and other Pacific Flyway Waterfowl Associations pinned letter to USFWS on Pentel limits. And so those organizations, besides the California Waterfowl Association, was Oregon Duck Hunters Association, Nevada Waterfowl Association, and Utah Waterfowl Association. So four units there, four associations, wrote a letter to the USFWS and talked about the model, the Pentel model. So let me read some of this for you. So in anticipation of a draft Pentel model being released by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service this fall, as part of the long-awaited Pentel harvest strategy revision, CWA and several other state waterfowl associations within the Pacific Flyway have asked that the model include certain elements to help ensure it promotes expanded hunter opportunity to the extent possible. The final model will determine federal frameworks and by the states for pintail seasons and bag limits. CWA has repeatedly asked the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for the new model to allow hunters to take three or more pintails. Remember I talked about in the last one talking about how many they could possibly take um, and how I said, you know what, they're talking about three. We talked about three at dinner, but I'm like, why? Let's just, just do two, you know? You know, if you shoot a drake and their their uh, hands flying real close together, if you accidentally shoot when they're too close, which that's uh, the that's the 
the responsibility of the hunter to not take that shot because I've a few times wanted to take a shot, but there was no way because they, they were literally stacked on each other. And pintails fly like that. They fly very tight when they're flying in a group. And I've had to just not pull the trigger because I know I would have hit two in one shot more than likely. Well, so they're saying three. But, hey, if if there is that many pintails to be able to do three, which is never going to be more than one hen, then, okay, that's great. Um, will I do it to get my limit while I shoot three? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't. It's just in my head, it's like, man, they're, they're such a cool mystique bird that, like, you don't, I'm not asking for a lot. I just want, like, one or two, you know what I mean? But I'm assuming you see it and you have the opportunity, you're going to do it. I think everybody will. It's just, that's just how it is. But, um... What I find interesting is what Mark goes into later in this. So let me continue on reading this. Our letter, the letter they wrote, which was also signed by representatives of all those places I named to you, Oregon, Nevada, and Utah, requests that the new model for Pentels recognize the following. So let me tell you this. This model hasn't been done in years, 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 and years. I can't remember the number I heard, and I don't want to say it because I don't want to exaggerate, but I, I, I have in my head because I think that's what they said the other night at dinner. And it's not a hidden thing. It's well known. I just can't remember the exact year, but it's a long time ago. Let's put it that way. Um, but it hasn't been done. So they want to redo this model. Okay. So number one, this is one of the things that they recognize that request in this new model. The current breeding population survey, which they call the BPOP, substantially underestimates the number of pintails. Excuse me. Which 100% I agree with. Using other analysis, i.e. Lincoln, the actual number is likely two or three times as large as the one derived from the BPOP. So that's huge, man. Like two to three times. I mean, that's that's a big amount. Combined with the potential that the Harvest Information Program, which is a HIP, right? When you do your license, you fill that out. Potentially overestimates harvest. When these two pieces of data are used to model population dynamics, harvest rate is severely overestimated. And what I believe that Mark is saying about that, how it, how the HIP or the Harvest Information Program overestimates it, because here's the thing, and I'm not going to quote this exactly, but like it, when it asks how many ducks you harvested, it says 1 to 10, uh, 11 to 50. I'm just throwing numbers out there. Or 11 to 100 or whatever. It gives you like three options. When you look at it like that, it's like, oh my goodness, they're, you know they're picking the top number. So like say if you actually only killed 15 ducks last year, but you fall in that range of 15 to 50, they're going to take the top number, right? They're going to take 50. So if you only killed 15, but you have to do, check the box where it says 15 to 50, that's a massive, massive overestimation of birds killed. So they're saying you, you, you take the one survey that underestimates it, the BPOP, and then you got the HIP that overestimates it, those numbers aren't going to work at good at all, just to put it in terms that I can understand, right? Number two, so that's why that's one of the reasons a new model needs to be recognized. Number two, the Lincoln estimates, Lincoln estimates of numbers of males and females indicate that the current sex ratio in the Pintel population is about three males per female, similar to the situation for mallards, which... I think it's more, but they're the professionals, right? So that's, but that's still a lot. Failure to account for excess males substantially reduces harvest opportunity. 
which it's, uh, it's doing, right? Given that female abundance regulates duck populations. Given that few hunters regularly shoot a limit of ducks, which is very, very, very true. That's why we did on the last podcast that the average is 2.67 this year for all the California refugees. Um, that's not a limit, okay? And, and we all know that we don't do a limit every single time. So given that few hunters regularly shoot a limit of ducks, it seems possible to return to a full seven bird pintail bag. Wow. That's crazy. With a limit of one hen, similar to the way mallards have been managed. The worst, excuse me, numbers we have, mallards are terrible if you listen to what we had last year. Um, this approach has added, has the added benefit. And this is why, okay. So he explains her why, cause I'm thinking how in the world, why would we go to a seven bird pintail limit? Why does that give room for that? Why is it possible to be able to return to that? And he explains why here, this approach has added, has the added benefit of helping to return the population to a balanced sex, balanced sex ratio. One could argue this approach would actually benefit the pintail population because excess males are potentially interfering interfering with female foraging, nutrient storage, and nesting activities, thereby reducing productivity. So that's a that's an interesting thought there. That's kind of one of the big things I want to bring up in this pintail deal is wow, like it seems possible to return to that. Will we ever? I highly doubt it. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. It is something that could totally happen. And I like how Mark writes that in here and why he has his reason for that. I mean, it makes complete sense. Again, not that means it's going to do that. But when you look at it like that, you're like, man, three bird pinta limit is actually very doable and could very easily happen, especially with all these letters that they're writing from all these states to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And then I think, oh, right here, down below, this is cool right here. So kind of keep your mind on this process and be, pay attention, but uh, I'll read these other two, these other two uh, points they bring out, but I do want to tell you that they are headed to DC to deal with this. So it says our letter also requests that entities outside the U U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service be given an opportunity to comment and provide input on the draft model. Once it's released, we believe the outside peer review, including, excuse me, by representatives of traditional stakeholders like waterfowl hunters is critical. 100%. Thank you, Mark. CWA will be in Washington, D.C. in mid-September. So here, within a week or so, and I remember Mark telling me about this, to meet with representatives of the U.S. Fish Wildlife Service Migratory Bird Program to further discuss our recommendations and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service progress in developing a draft mile. So... Say a word of prayer for those boys. <laughs> They're going into battle, and we need some things cleared up and fixed and straightened out, and I think this could be a great opportunity. I think it's going to be very good. Uh, number three, past models did not account for highly variable conditions on breeding areas and the potential that demographic rates are more strongly driven by variation in recruitment and predation risk by breeding females than by harvest. So that's another point they're bringing up. The lastly, past models assumed that harvest was fully additive. Recent work with mallards and blooming till has shown that current approaches to assessing harvest effects on annual survival dramatically overestimate the effects of harvest. There is strong evidence of density-dependent effects on natural mortality and recent work that is driving these 
spur- spurious relationships between harvest and survival. But such dis- density-dependent effects have not been appropriately incorporated into past harvest management models. So there you go. That was the one thing that I wanted to bring up. Also, just quickly touch on this, and this is actually huge. I probably shouldn't quickly touch on it, but we'll have Mark on again to talk about this Pendel deal. I definitely want to just go dive deeper into this and hear his thoughts on just the fact that he threw out seven bird for seven Pentel limit. But the other one is the ammunition and gun tax continues to advance. So CWA continues to work with other hunting and gun groups as well as our allies at the state capitol to oppose AB28. So guys, I went and already did this. I was trying to share it on my Instagram so you guys basically could just see the story and then click the link and oppose this. Um, I went and did it the other day. But there's a Democrat from Woodland Hills that's trying to do this. His name is Jesse Gabriel, which would impose an additional 11% excise. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tax on all firearms and ammunition purchases to support gun violence-related programs. I love how we got to pay for that. We're the least of the problem, yet we got to pay for that. 11%, guys, insane. Do the math on that. You know, it's like, okay, take, I mean, it's kind of easy, but I'll just do it. Take a $1,000 gun times 11%. You're now, you're another 110 bucks on top of the, all the taxes you already stinking pay. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, that's what they're trying to do. Are you surprised? California. Um. The funny thing is we already pay, like he says in here, lawful hunters and recreational shooters already pay an 11% excise tax on hunting equipment pursuant to the federal Pittman-Robertson Act. So, And they're already allocated back to states to fund beneficial programs. So, I mean, that's what they're already doing. And they want us to tack another one. Let's just, let's just get us. Nobody should be taxed for this. Nobody. Not people that hunt or don't hunt. It's ridiculous. But anyways, that's just something. If you guys can help help out help out your state if you are from california go to california waterfowl site oh i don't think it's on their instagram but go to their site and go in there find this ab28 excuse me alpha bravo 28 and go oppose that and they basically will have like a pre-written out thing i mean you just put your information in and he has send and you don't have to write nothing fancy or do it yourself okay all right moving on a question that on the YouTube channel, the MVM show, uh, P19B said, uh, basically he was like, cool, Friday drop, which I don't normally do. And I definitely don't drop it that late. I just wanted to get it out because I missed uh, Thursday's upload. Um, uh, he said he had a great year, had a great year and a good amount of birds. Um, he brought up the two new free hunting days and he said he basically like to hear thoughts on that um yeah that's a good point and I, i'll use this opportunity to explain to you how that works okay and i'll stick to duck hunters for right now um i'm not going to dig into pig or deer or any of that stuff um i don't know how that works but i did look up and research and find all the details so here we go this is actually really cool so there's two days um there's one in april 
which doesn't do duck hunters no good. And there's one November 25th. Let me confirm to make sure that is the month. Yes. So November 25th, 2023. They just implemented. They've always done this with fish. They've, They've done it for years with fishing which is really cool. And I don't remember if it was one or two days for fishing. doesn't really matter. But the hunting thing is really cool. So how you do that? If you're listening to this podcast, you've never duck hunted. You want to duck hunt, but you're not sure. Am I going to really like it? Do I got to go get all this stuff? I got to spend all this money, get all these licenses and this and that and the other thing. Um, let me tell you how you can do this. November 25th, on which is a Saturday, what you got to have to go out there, let's say on a type A refuge, okay, type A. So you have to look that up. Um, you have to have your hunter safety course done, okay? So that is something. If you don't have that, even if you do, like there may be some of you that have that, but they still don't want to buy all the license and all that stuff, okay? Hear me out. So to go, let's say, Sacramento National Wildlife Refuge, you have to have your hunter safety card in hand, or have passed it, I would take it with me. I um, I can't remember if they said you got to have it on you, but I'm like 99% sure you do. So take your hunter safety card and you got to have a day pass. That's it. That's it. Compared to what you normally have to have, that's awesome. Um, the day pass now, I believe it's around 25 bucks, which is insane because I remember when they're like, I think they're like, when I remember, I think they were 10 or 11 bucks, I think. But they're 25 bucks now, I think, somewhere, give or take. But anyways, what that does is that gets you out there. Now, if that's for a type A day pass. If you buy a type B, it's cheaper. And I, I don't want you guys to sit there without empty sound for me to go find it up on the internet real quick what that cost. But, um, yeah, if you want to go to type A, then go buy a type A day pass and have your hunter safety card with you. Boom, you're good to go. So you don't have to buy your federal stamp. You don't have to buy your state duck stamp you don't have to buy a hunting license that's awesome that's cool and i'm glad i think it's great they did it honestly i think it's a very good chance to get some people into it even get a couple shots on that didn't have to go spend all that money because here's the thing a guy like me i know some guys right now that i could definitely take out there um if they have their hunter safety card i'll tell them they don't i'll tell them hey go get it I got waiters for you that you can use because I, I got some guys around me that I know right now that I would really like to do this with and just say, hey, jump in with me. Let's let's go. I'll take you out there. Um, you can have, you know, you use my gun or whatever. You can try to shoot a full limit. I'm telling you right now, you you, you know, they have a good, just going out there, maybe they don't shoot nothing. They're going to realize, man, this is actually pretty cool because it's funny. Guys that don't really duck hunt always have this weird, bad impression of us and think we're half crazy, which sometimes we are, but they also think... Oh, it's freezing cold and it's all oh, it's terrible and it's raining, you're getting wet and da da da. It's like, dude, if you have the right gear, that none of that's none of that's happening to you. It used to. Years ago, when I first started, it was terrible. I mean, the stuff the gear we used was garbage. I still went, still had fun, but like I was always wet. I would wear a rainproof jacket and by the end of the hunt, I was soaked, and so was the jacket. It was like a sponge with water, you know? So uh that's uh, that's the difference between the gear now. And if you're wearing the right gear, you're you're gonna stay dry. You're gonna stay warm, and that's the two biggest factors right there. You getting cold or getting wet, it just ruins it. And I totally get that. Um, uh, Pintel, let me write some notes here. Um, text. 
two free days. Yeah, so that's my thoughts on it. And uh, yeah, so let's go ahead to my last in this article. I guess I'm going to kind of just go over this article and I'm actually going to wrap this up pretty quick. I'm not going to go on about, about what I said, but I'm going to go over some questions that uh, MD asked me in this interview real quick that I think you guys would find interesting, the questions that he asked me. Get to it real quick. There we go. So the article is uh, social media and waterfowling. Match made in heaven or... That was his title. So match made in heaven or... (laughs) Is a good thing or bad thing, right? So... um, let me see real quick if he did. Yeah, that's all he did right there. So, firstly, he asked, this is the first question he asked me. Uh, we did a phone interview, and he said, how has social media changed the face of waterfowl hunting in recent years, or or has it changed waterfowling? I said, give or take. I mean, you know, he's got to edit my sloppy speech. But I said, I'm reading what he wrote. I definitely think it has changed waterfowl hunting for sure. I think it's been positive and negative. On the positive side, it's made people more aware of current issues like California's waterfowl uh, situation, gun taxes, like all these things that we can bring up and try to help when I talk about on this this podcast. I wish he would actually mention the podcast on here. He didn't say nothing about it. But anyways, he just talks about the YouTube channel. But... um. He also said, it, or I said, it's provided information on people to vote more wisely on such issues, but that's just one positive. There are relationships, and I say this so much, there's so many relationships that I have and people that I know I would have never known because of it. I mean, Harrison, you guys see how much Harrison goes with me and how good of friends we are. He might even be listening to this. Shout out to Harrison. He's probably fixing someone's truck or diesel or, or tractor somewhere, I guarantee you. Hardworking dude there. But we're very close, very good friends. We talk often. We hunt a lot together during the season. And uh, I would have never met him. He, We met each other through YouTube and with Travis doing some taxidermy for Harrison. So, And we fished together. In fact, his dad, Harry Chang, actually built um, my first custom rod, which was a um, – oh, my goodness. <laughs> How do I forget the brand? Oh, it's like my favorite fishing fishing rod I've ever had. And mm-mm-mm. that's got Phoenix. Yeah, my, no, was it Phoenix? It was, yeah, K2. It was a K2 rod, but it was custom built, custom wrapped by Harry. Yeah, it was a Phoenix rod. Yeah, those are good rods. Anyways, made me a nice uh, <clears throat> bait caster rod with that. And I can't remember the numbers on it. It was like a 7.2 or something like that. But uh, I, that all came through YouTube. Um, <clears throat> he's a lifelong friend. Uh, Kevin, he's on, been on the podcast a ton of times. We, you've seen us hunt together. We feed off each other. We give each other information. We don't always hunt together. But that came through Instagram. Um, uh, Polly, through Instagram, from Kevin. Dom, Dom, we met for the first time. Like, all these relationships have been such good people. Mark Henley, like, again, so... That's the one thing I said. I would have never met these people. I've had a lot of good friendships and partnerships come from social media. I said on the negative side, though, I think it's brought out, well, you just see more of how people really are, right? <laughs> like on the negative side, you're like, wow. I said, I've seen some disrespect shown towards the animals we're harvesting. 
Now that's, I believe that's always been around. Personally, people have said, "Oh, that that they're so disrespectful compared to what they used to be." No way. I've seen black and white photos from the twenties where they did stuff like, "Man, I wouldn't do that." Like, I wouldn't take a picture like that. It's been around, but I said we've just not had it right in front of our faces. It's accessible to millions and millions and hundreds of millions, and people can see it and share it and send it to this guy. Look at this Joker, and then they send it to them, and then it gets posted on a refuge forum, and then it gets sent over to here, and then it's on a video, and it's like it's never ending. It's unlimited. There's no holding it back. Once that's released into the public, it's gone. Because people can screenshot and save, and even if you delete it from your account, it's going to be somewhere else. So just pay attention to what you post. Let me put it that way. Um, and now I'm not sure if it's done by people who just don't know, but I've seen spots being burnt. People saying, this is where we're hunting, and then get frustrated the next week when there's four other groups there. So like, we never say when we're, where we're going or where we're at. If you can figure it out, props to you. okay? But I don't public, publicly go on there and say, hey, this is where we're at. And if you click the link in the description, I will send you <laughs> a pin to it. No, but guys will tag like Instagram. I've seen it like literally put on there where they're at. And you're like, man, okay, all right. Well, if you want everybody else there on the ground, well, that's fine. I mean, it's up to you. It's your prerogative. I don't care what you do. Um, but I said the bottom line is that if we use social media properly, it can be a great thing for sure. So the next question he asked, I'm almost done. Excuse me. Sorry for all the young. Uh, MD said, what about social media as a recruitment tool? I like this part the most. Has it brought more people into the waterfowling world per se? I'm so glad he asked this because I might just do a whole episode on this or something, but I said, I believe it has 100%, 100%. I've had this conversation with so many people. Um, I said, I really do. I wish over the years I had taken screenshots of all the comments I've gotten on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook that said, you got me into duck hunting. And and I said, and I said this, I want to make this very clear again. I said, I'm not patting myself on the back. That's what I said in this article. I said, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm not the only guy that's done that. I got people, and there's a lot of people that are YouTube, Instagram, social media. Guys aren't even on none of those platforms that just write in magazines and do things that get people into waterfowl hunting. But I am saying, I know I can, I just telling you that I know people have got into it. People listening to this podcast probably will say the same thing. Again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm saying social media does ha can have an advantage if you use it right as a recruitment tool. A lot of people have. I've had people in their 30s, 40s, 50s say, man, I never, I used to duck hunt, but I quit for the last 20 years. But seeing your dog, Rocky, in the water, find those birds, relit the fire me, and I'm back out there again. It's not about me. Like I'm not trying to say, oh, Titus. At all. Trust me. I don't even want to be close to that, thinking that, or people thinking that about me. I'm just telling you, like, to show, when you showcase how fun you're, how much fun you're having out there, and that you're with your brother, you're with your best friends, you're with pals, and you're cooking bacon, and you're, you got a couple ducks, or you had a rough day, and you're getting chewed up by mosquitoes, and you're walking back sweating your hind, hind, hind in off in early season, or that day you finally, after 10 bad hunts, you have an epic hunt, and it's you lay in bed at night for months thinking about the hunt. This is what does that. That's what causes recruitment. That's what gets more people into it. And not only does word of mouth do that in itself without the social media, but it does have a, it is a recruitment tool. I've, I've had, I can safely say I've had hundreds of messages, emails that said, you got me into duck hunting. 
So it, again, it's not that. It's not me doing it. It's the whole journey of it that they watch. That say, man, that would be fun if me and my brother did that, or me and my dad. You know. Um. That's it for that. So yeah, that that's what I wrote. That was my part, and I literally didn't know. I forgot. It was a couple months ago when he did the interview, and it's on page sixty six. But yeah, so Matt Matt. Um, from my prairie sportsman did one on here too and basically he asked all three of us the same question and our answers were all pretty much the same pretty much very 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 similar and uh yeah it's good so anyways that will probably wrap up what i uh cover in here um in this this uh magazine we'll move on to some other things but um yeah so i hope you guys enjoyed it and i appreciate your guys support appreciate your feedback Big Mike Catano, always listening and giving some feedback. He, I know he scored really good last year. Got a lot of um, resis, very good, and that's that's awesome. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, that, that that's pretty much anything. I was gonna see if there's anything from any of you guys that comment on the on the uh, YouTube channel or something. That I could kind of to write back, but there's really nothing fresh that I haven't already talked about or read. But anyways, yeah, so I appreciate you guys, and uh, as always, I really do. And thank you for those of you that have gone on here and uh, on the YouTube channel, gave it a thumbs up on the videos that help it. Please, every time you listen to it, if you can, hit the thumbs up. So it'd be awesome to have 100 views or 200 views with 200 likes. That just, it really pushes it out there. Um, thank you for going on Spotify or, or uh, Stitcher's gone, I guess, now. But Spotify, Apple Podcast, any of those other platforms, rating review, it's, it's huge. It helps so much. And I want this to be the best year ever. And so far, it's on track to be as far as growth and everything. So thank you, guys. And we'll see you on the next one. Yeah.